Hello everyone and welcome to Changing Conversations with me, Billy Burke. And me, Sarah Philp. We're really glad you've joined us on this podcast. This podcast is all about changing conversation. Conversation is one of the oldest ways to nurture the conditions for growth and improvement. We come alive when we talk about what's important to us and it's this that has the potential to guide us into new and different ways of being and offer the potential for great things. In this podcast, we want to explore the big questions and the small questions. It's a place for thinking and conversations that hold the potential for change. You will hear from us as well as some of our guests. We would love to hear from you and for you to get involved. You can also follow us on Twitter at Changing Conversations. In this episode, we're joined by Emma Hay, who is the Learning and Development Manager at Johnson's of Elgin. Now, Emma does have a teaching background. She she taught it in primary, um, and she's taken that love of learning, that real interest in the, the philosophy and the psychology of learning, and that's followed her through her career into um, the world of learning and development, both in investment management and now with Johnston's of Elgin. And you can hear in, in our conversation with Emma, you can hear her passion and her energy and enthusiasm for, for learning in all forms um, at all stages of life. Uh, but she also continues to build and develop that connection with schools and with young people and developing the young workforce. Um, so in this episode, I guess there are messages for for the adults, but there are also messages in there for young people, and there might be bits that you're interested or keen to share with young people. And if you do, we'd love to hear your your feedback on that. Um, I hope you enjoy the conversation, and I'm just going to say that I might just have a new favourite quote, but I won't spoil that, and I'll let you listen. Emma, how how are you doing? How are you tonight? I'm very well, thank you. It's it's quite nice to come home and have a chat lined up. So thank you for inviting me on to the, on today. <laughs> Good. Well, we're delighted to have um, the opportunity to chat with you. Um, maybe we'll start with a bit of an introduction. Perhaps you could tell tell us tell our listeners um, who you are and what you do. That sounds like blind date, but um, probably not. <laughs> I need a Liverpudlian accent, actually. I'll slip right into it. Um, so thanks, Sarah. My name's Emma Hay. I, uh, I'm, a learning, I'm the Learning and Development Manager for Johnston's of Elgin, which is um, the only vertical weaving mill left in Scotland, um, which means we take in raw fibre all the way through all the processes to finished uh, blankets, scarves, accessories, and um, knitwear as well, um, down in our Hoik uh, factory there. So that's what I do at the moment. But as you know, I've had a bit of a journey uh, to where I am now, and I began uh, my career in teaching as a primary school teacher and um, tried that in uh, three countries over 10 years and uh, kind of fell out of teaching uh, six seven years ago and into the world of learning and development and set up a, a learning and development function for a business in Edinburgh uh, investment management so I'm sure there's lots to unpick there but uh, it's been it's been a it's been a fun ride so far. Um, so tell us what brought you into teaching in the first place. What was the, the thing that interested you or connected you with teaching? 
so I had gone through quite a, a traditional, I suppose you'd say it, journey from, uh, so I grew up in uh, Fife and then in Stornoway in the Outer Hebrides, uh, one of three, um, one of triplets. Um, and up in uh, Stornoway, the, the school, the Nicholson Institute was something we'd heard about really early on as having an excellent education, you know, a reputation. Um, and so um, all three of us quite fiercely competitive. Um, we, we got quite good grades and then um, we all left the island to go to university university and luckily our parents were really um you know liberal and said go and follow your fascination and um off I went to St Andrews University to study medieval history with very little career guidance before that decision <laughs> I, I loved the stories and I loved um I loved how emotion was such a part of people's behavior and the psychology behind you know feud and gift giving and lords and holy men and all this sort of thing um so long story short it, it's sort of the summer holidays um I was then looking for ways to earn you know earn a few bob as you do as a student um and I um, was offered uh, te uh, English teaching to um, a group of Italian teenagers and then Chinese teenagers the following summer and uh, just got the bug I mean I just loved the community and the the laughter you know the fun that comes or I think should come with learning um and forget that at your peril I would say mm -hmm. um so yeah really got the bug then and so when I came out with my you know first class degree in medieval history and suddenly found there's not really a career trajectory that's outlined for somebody with medieval history um not to say it can't be carved but um I had a year to uh, living back with my parents who'd moved to Inverness and um worked in a bookshop and worked in a, a new school that had opened up and and so that confirmed that I want to be somewhere where there's that sense of belonging and 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 the psychology piece you know how we all uh, help that to happen and how to how, how people can reach their potential so not to sound too cheesy or anything like that but that's definitely been the thread through my career of um, helping people reach that potential and sometimes discovering what that potential is because it's sometimes not what you think it is mm -hmm. and I think you said you taught in three different countries was it three I did I did um so for my sins um after you know four years at undergraduate I had a, a bit of debt going on and I uh, I realized at that time that in England they were throwing money for people training as primary school teachers so I put I put an application into Aberdeen and an application into Cambridge and um got Cambridge and so it was purely economic and also it had a, a very good reputation as a course yeah. and then I tried to get back to Scotland with my qualification and of course it was a what we've trained our own here you know and uh tried to I went for interviews in Cumbria Northumberland you know Yorkshire trying to get as far north as I could and then I was the last one in my cohort to not have a job so massive panic and then one day on the photocopier I found a job advert so sorry to whoever you know pr printed that out and failed to collect it but that's the job I went for <laughs> and it was a, a school in a place called Sawston in South Cambridgeshire which really specialised in thinking skills and um, the five R's Guy Claxton yeah. learning powered schools and yeah so I fell in love with the with with a philosophy having a philosophy around education um because because then you can hang your hat on something and and um you can chuck things off the tray that are uh, you know going to tip it over so i really like that yeah um i didn't realize you'd you'd taught in a school that kind of embraced guy claxton's work he was one of our earlier guests as well and someone that whose work i followed for years as well so i'm feeling i'm feeling a little bit starstruck now six degrees <laughs> of separation is only one now <laughs> no. um 
so tell us tell us about how that then moves you into the the world you're currently in but also you had investment banking in there as, as yeah, well. well investment management I I got those terms muddled up so um yeah let's go there so um obviously couldn't couldn't kind of quite get back to Scotland with my um, English qualifications so a friend of mine we'd been on holiday to Canada and New Zealand and we'd we'd thought teaching might be a bit of a passport for travel so mm. we um we picked New Zealand and um thank goodness we did because actually turned up there without a job uh, on a one-way ticket and we um, found jobs. Um, I found a job in a school that taught the International Baccalaureate, um, the primary years programme of that, yeah. and things like transdisciplinary skills, um, concept learning. So it, it felt very um, advanced for five-year-olds and 10-year-olds, but it was, um, it, it was a fantastic learning experience for me. And the teacher is researcher, almost that Montessori, um, you know, approach to, observation communities of practice so I, I give that background because actually then going um going fast forward uh, you know so I had two and a half years in New Zealand at this school that combined um the PYP um, international baccalaureate with New Zealand curriculum came back to Scotland and got into a school it was an independent school but um in Edinburgh and um could suddenly see that difference you know and it had so many uh, you know assets to it in terms of um wider learning curriculum that wraparound care sort of idea of providing education that's beyond the classroom outdoor learning fantastic stuff like that philosophy resilience you know all these pieces that we talk about so much um and then in 2016 um I was taking a sabbatical um just to take a pause because I in my head the number 10 was a big number and I thought if I stay if I stay in anything too you know for, for a decade mm-hmm. that'll be me for for the, for, for the 40 years or you know <laughs> on the whole career I think I'm quite linear sometimes <laughs> so um, I was taking a breather and I was going to go and live abroad um for a year well, while the school kept my job open, which was just a phenomenal offer, really, to go and just spread wings for a bit and, and be able to come and land back. Um, unfortunately, my partner at the time, he had an accident, so he was left quadriplegic. Um, that was a week before we were about to fly. So there was a lot of, you know, toing and froing and care for, for him, but a lot of learning as well. Um, and then I... Um, find out about learning and development as a, as a as something business really wanted and I thought that's interesting you know and and a lot of it was around um what we probably call now behavioral science mm-hmm. um leadership competencies um communities of practice or action learning sets mm-hmm. and I again I got the buzz in that classroom setting but instead of being chalk and talk and sort of that almost hierarchy that can sometimes happen in, in a classroom with children it was all about breaking down those um, sort of preconceptions of what learning is because you realize that school you know a lot of people have got some very negative connotations about from their own experience so you often have to to sort of ch- change that um and the cognitive dissonance that comes with oh learning can be fun or learning can include yeah. me or um there's something here for me as well so yeah so I um yeah I signed a contract to say I'll, I'll help set up a learning and development function for a, a, a wonderful company called Stuart Investors so investment management being um investment over the long term of people's pension money yeah. so they call it um I can never pronounce the word but fiduciary fiduciary uh responsibility so making sure that you're treating the money as if it's your own um that you've got that responsibility over the long term 
Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they had a, a Hippocratic oath in there about um, behaviors, you know, and about um, attitudes to, towards because, um, you know, we, we confuse it all the time with investment banking and look at look at the reputation that that's got um, and the, and the sort of the the unethical uh, behaviors that can just seep in and start becoming not acceptable but but sort of the yeah allowable um, it, it, unless somebody whistleblows or or steps in to challenge it. So I really like that kind of. Uh, social responsibility that came with it and um ESG I learned all about ESG and environmental social and governance principles and how businesses were set up and what an initial public offering was because the business then you know within six months it was changing massively so I kind of felt that I'd stepped into the world I would been preparing children for through the education I was giving and then going oh it's quite a mismatch here (laughs) because there's all these bits of knowledge or people skills emotional intelligence that I realized that actually what my fellow teachers were often going oh you've gone to the dark side because you've gone to business when actually I thought it's the same world you know there's still little egos and there's still um kindness being something that's really important especially when you're um dealing and looking after people's long-term savings um so I love that and the variety of opportunities that we could then take that social responsibility and offer so something like future assets was something that um I was on the founding committee for which I'm so proud of because it was teaching girls about investment and how they've got a place at the table and decision making and and all that kind of thing so that's it's a long story see I don't give brief answers here (laughs) but it's um that was kind of the journey the big picture there's a thread running through all of that though Emma which is about the the role of learning and and ultimately I suppose the destination for most people which will be the world of work for um you said 40 years I think most young people will be asked probably more isn't it I know (laughs) um and I wonder if sometimes you know with with you when you speak to people in the learning and development side in in an organization and you talk about learning initially if they just connect that completely with well learning's that thing you do at school you know it's a formal thing um and I think so many organisations and businesses understand now that, that learning is not optional in your work to become a, um, a, a sound and successful business. We've moved a long way from the kind of factory, you know, I'll just tell you exactly what to do, you know, the inputs, and then you reproduce it and I'll check you do it, to actually investing in people. So, 100%, yeah. I mean, and I'd be interested in what, what do you think about, um, do you see a change in people's attitude to learning, you know, as employees, as members of an organisation, for example, do they, do they value it more? It's, it's a really good question and something that I've, you know, struggled with through my, what is it, seven years now of being out of the classroom, as in the, the, the children classroom and in with adults, um, because you've got what, we, what I call the serial attenders, you know, you yeah. offer a course or you offer a learning opportunity and it's the same people that turn up and it's usually the people with the highest level of self-awareness, the curiosity, the positivity, the, the, the sort of... Um, 
the personality trait, I guess, that really values uh, openness and collaboration, whereas often it's the people that don't opt in that you'd have to try and influence and negotiate why this is a benefit. So, yeah, there's a massive almost marketing PR piece that, you know, when I started my work with Stuart Investors, it was very much about, well, what as a business do we mean by learning? Because actually it's it's like sustainability, isn't it? It's a massive term that can mean all things to all people or and then not mean anything very much to to some who think that the end goal is getting that job and then you just you know work the same way that for the rest of your career I think where, where I've struggled a lot with is um the interaction often learning and development is often placed with HR human yeah. resources and it and yeah. I think it all depends on who who the head of that function is and or not who they are but but what they believe learning and development to be because you know I've I've had in in or I've heard from other colleagues in learning and development that you know learning is it, it can be a punishment for when you've done mm. something wrong and so you reinforce this a dynamic where um, learning is never a positive it's something that's done to you as a yeah. way to you know mend your ways so it's um for me it's it's become more and more important to work for a leader who's a little bit more open-minded about that and sees learning actually as a strategic pillar of a business because you know we all know the rate of change is only getting faster with technology changes and information just being at your, at your fingertips now so if you don't learn you basically you're not growing and if you're not growing you're moving backwards straight away because everybody else is going to overtake you so not to inject any anxiety around it or fear but to sort of generate that understanding that really a business is only as strong as the weakest link so the, the as in the least curious person or the the least one um, wanting to to grow or develop so it's it's bringing everybody with you and so a lot of my my work is walking around that factory floor that you that you spoke about and really building relationships and listening and finding out what those hurdles are you know we had a fantastic um conversation with somebody who they basically washed the the finished woven product and um they said oh they, well we're, we're so busy we don't we don't have time for training and I said well you've got about 10 new people starting so what do you do with them when they start you know and he said well I just show them I show them what I do I said yeah, that's training <laughs> you know so like you say it's not off the job training there's off the job training but that's I mean, they talk about the, you know, 70, 70, 30, 10, sorry, not 70, 20, 10. But, you know, I would say that formal learning is probably like 5%, 2%, you know, because actually you, you need a culture that's learning all the time, every day, but having time to also reflect on that learning um, and, and communication, how to then go, I think there's a better way that this machine should have a button here and there, because actually we're running around wasting energy and time doing this. So how do you get that? Because that's a piece of learning that needs to be fed through and then change a system or a process. Uh, you've made the link between learning, <clears throat> excuse me, learning and curiosity, which I think is really, really crucial because I guess as someone who trains as a primary teacher, you'll see that's very natural in young people at that age and stage. Um, and I, we're obviously in a, in a period where we're having a close look at secondary education and the obsession we have with, you know, narrow examinations, um, which, you know, in, in many people's views, my own included, curbs curiosity rather than that nurtures it and then maybe it's inevitable that you get people in the workforce that think well you know I, I've, I've done my piece with formal learning and now I just want to go on with it but if you can nurture that link with curiosity and another common theme with learning that, that Sarah and I hear throughout most of our conversations is that link with someone's own well-being you know that 
if you're learning about purpose, uh, you know, why are we here in this business? Why are we here in this organisation? What then? Actually, it's it's got benefits to your own well-being. Um, and you spoke about that courageous leader, uh, understanding that you need to invest in people and learning as a pillar. You know, and that, that's about empowering people uh, to to develop themselves. And I suppose in a, in a totally selfish point of view. I'm sure a lot of businesses, if they think that it's going to grow their workforce in a good direction, then it's worth the investment. Yeah, so I, absolutely. But we wanted to pick your brains about because I'm sure the way that you've had to work, like like most of us, has changed um, in recent years, and it's probably um, forced a lot of businesses, if they weren't already doing it, to think about the longer term life of work. So we, we wanted to get your perspective and what you think the. You know, that future relationship with working life and how working life might might evolve from your perspective yeah and I think you know we talk about life work balance don't we but actually it's 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 been a lot more entwined visibly through COVID I mean I think it has been for a lot of people for many years and I was talking to a friend of mine who's currently writing an undergraduate dissertation down in Exeter about precisely that that actually working from home was not a new concept if you were in sort of a, a manual trade you know you'd have the the spinster spinning the spinning the yarn in our house certainly up in Elgin you know you, and because all these jobs actually um sort of fit in with watching children or, or supervising um your family and that actually what covid did is it made working from home or that work-life blend a more middle class thing which you know if you want to talk about socioeconomic backgrounds but i thought that's a really interesting perspective and I think people are very much at the point of negotiating now, coming back, you know, as we've been doing over the last few months um, in all the different ways of going, well, do I, do I want to be working 60 hour weeks, you know, in a place that's maybe a two hour commute and the, the massive sort of separation that gives me from my, my family or the place that I, that I have been in for the last two years, you know, nonstop. Um, and I think it's a real challenge for workplaces. Uh, you know, the, you can see the, the demand for wages. You know, people don't want to work for minimum wage now. And something like the, um, the real living wage actually is not so different anymore uh, bet between that, the minimum wage and, and, and what other people are offering. So, you know, people, people go, oh, I could get I could earn more shoveling chicken in, in KFC. And I'm going, well, that's a great thing because lots of people love KFC. But do you, do you want to do is that how you want to spend your time or do you want to spend your time making tech? textiles or investing people's pensions or you know teaching in a, in a primary school classroom it, you know it's that purpose for me has to be made crystal clear by the organization so I think the demand for leaders who can crystallize what it is the, you know the the, the the greater good that their organization serves whether that be a charity a business a school you know whatever kind of organization because I think we um we all need hope and we all need optimism and for those two things to flourish I think you need belief in what you're doing and and connection with others pushing in or pulling in the same direction I think you know what Covid has done is absolutely separated us and you know look at what's going on in the world we've got this you know invasion of Ukraine and we've got a pandemic that people are you know everybody's affected by these pieces we're seeing supply chains that we didn't even we weren't even using those terms I don't think you know to use we knew what a supply chain was but we're using it in day-to-day -day parlance now and I think that's really interesting because 
what it does do is make people a lot more fearful and a lot more anxious. So, uh, you know, what's the opposite of fear is love, I would say. And so we need to create, we need to get less shy about talking about love and belonging, because I I firmly believe there's something professional love or, you know, whatever you want to call it, where you feel this um, unconditional positive regard with the people you work with. You know what the vision is. And actually coming to work is not just for the paycheck at the end of the month or the week or whatever. It's about making your unique contribution and you are you're seen and heard as the individual that you are and valued for that you know obviously you're still going to have have to have difficult conversations when that doesn't quite align but like you know in the classroom if you've got your golden rules on the board it's really easy in a non-aggressive um, way to just point attention to those and go remember we're all here for this so I hope that answers your question somehow but that but that kind of fusion and that ongoing growth that I think people they don't want to come and be static just doing one thing and going home you know they want opportunities to grow or work with different people or contribute to a project that's actually going to mean something and and change something for the better yeah makes sense how do you think that um that affects our young people or what does it mean for our young people who are maybe at that point of thinking about what they might want to do in the future and thinking about the world of work and you know exams start at, at the moment at which time at which we're recording this you know and that's a big milestone for for many young people thinking about those kind of next steps and you've you've mentioned you know the pace of change technology um wages love and belonging purpose connection all of those things like how do, how does that filter from the workplace as it is now into what it means for our young people who are at that kind of point of transition. Yeah, and I would say that, you know, I think we've always said, oh, being young is, you know, is like the best time in your life. I remember having to write an essay about how being 16 or 17 was going to be the best time of my life <laughs> by my French teacher and going, thank you, Mrs. McKim. But I remember at the time going, is, is this it? <laughs> because there's so much pressure to get it right. You know, what is what is that one job you're going to choose when you've actually you've done a bit of waitressing and you've maybe, you know, done something, you know, in a supermarket, but you don't really know what all the options are. So yeah. I, you know, I think it's a really interesting question in the context of COVID where there's been a lot of lack, you know, a lot of young people going, well, I didn't get my prom and I didn't get my summer camp and I didn't, you know, but I think there's there's what I'm seeing as well on the flip side is those with a really entrepreneurial mindset or a bit of innovation where they've maybe gone and washed their neighbors cars or they you know they've actually taken the lemons and they made lemonade in that sort of you know cliche term but they um they've seized the opportunity and they have really owned it you know I do I firmly believe that we need to part of the education we need to give young people is that they have responsibility for their experience there's no point sitting there blaming other people or situations or covid Mm -hmm. you've just got to look around and go right mm, this is interesting (laughs) stay curious what are the options I've got here and it might be something as as small as well do you know I'm going to set the alarm half an hour early and just read a bit of that book or I'm going to go for that walk or whatever it is that allows you to 
not to take control sounds aggressive, but to really take ownership of, of what that experience is and to understand that actually keeping that gameful kind of playful mindset is how the successful adults have got where they've got you know they've not they've taken different opportunities they've kept that open mind that when somebody shares that idea they've gone to you know do more research mm -hmm. and I think as well if you're in that open-minded state you will you know people see it and actually you then have really much more interesting conversations or somebody sees that spark in you whereas if you're in that fear and that anxiety and you're going stress 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 stress, stress which let's face it young people listening to this please study hard for your exams because it is an unlocking key absolutely but don't get so stressed that it, it, you know it it's your whole life you've still got to develop friendships you've still got to do those things that give you joy because that's the that's the that's the juice in the bottle that's gonna you know boost you when you do get that those exam grades yeah and I guess we've moved away from that expectation or or the reality was that you know you went into a job and you did that job until you retired that is sometimes still the case but it's often not the case anymore and sometimes people move um you know two steps to the side and sometimes it's 15 steps to the side to something completely different and i think you know your story is an interesting example because i think education is a very linear tight kind of progression you know there aren't many options there's not many branches on the tree when it comes to working in education but actually there's a whole world out there and there are so many options so many trees with so many branches um and there's so many options and I think um you know that's something that's quite exciting but how do we how do we help young people to kind of see all of those possibilities and how or how do we bring those possibilities to young people so that they can they can almost touch them in a tangible way I, th I think that and that's the key isn't it I mean that's the million dollar question is because you know the, the network that you're born with can often increase or or sometimes limit those opportunities that you've got because you don't you can't be what you can't see you know that mm -hmm. if you don't know that that career is out there or that that subject is out there how are you ever going to explore it further so I think schools have you know they do an amazing job at giving you different subjects but I think now it's getting even better than that in that it's making these links you know with yeah. the career you know the DYW someone that we work with closely at Johnston's to make the to make sure we reach as many young people as we can um, and 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 try and inspire them you know let's not let's not dumb it down we want our young people to find a passion because that Actually, you know, if you do something that lights you up, you are incredibly, you know, it's sort of you're like a magnet. Everybody's going to want to come and, and, and pick your brains, you know. So I would say to young people, because I've been I've I had my head in my hands and I'm sure, Billy, you're the same as a head teacher. Sometimes people going career aspirations. I want to be an influencer on YouTube. I totally get it because I think what young people are saying with that is I want to be seen as good at something and I want somebody to I want people to listen to me and yeah. I also want to have flexibility in my day you know I want to film a video here or I want to do an interview there so I think that's what people are saying but what I would say is having worked in textiles now and you know investment management and all these different pieces is commit to being good at something you know get get a get a discipline and whether you start with something like I think you know martial arts are a fantastic thing for kids you know doing judo at school or dance or gymnastics or football or whatever that is but if you develop that discipline of learning something becoming really 
deeply knowledgeable and skilled at that thing it's that attitude and that mindset which will get you on because actually if you then discover let's take the example of of you know craftsmanship if you say you want to become a carpenter well you're not going to settle for just being a generic chippy you you know you are going to want to be the best master craftsman that you can be and, and so I would say it's yeah how do we get young people to look up from those exams studying pieces and be in the right mindset and the calmness to see those opportunities and that's where I think what I've learned from learning and development a lot of it is about um, self-awareness developing that you know sort of understanding of how you react in a stressful situation or during a difficult conversation what I would love to do is take a lot of what I you know I facilitate in the adult space into schools you know why from five years old are we not talking about how did you negotiate that how did you influence that how did you have your voice heard there did you allow other people to have their voice heard because those skills mapped onto you know a a passion for something and a discipline to explore it to a deep level I think that's the you know that's your golden ticket in a Willy Wonka bar (laughs) it's funny because if you you know I'm reflecting on some of the things that you're saying that I hear from so many businesses and employers about what they want in the future workforce, right? And um, yes, people want a base level of literacy and numeracy, of course they do, right? Um, but the people tend to talk about attitude, mindset, curiosity, problem solvers, these are words you've used, emotional literacy. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, it's then for the education system, particularly just now as we're in a phase of reform, to think about, well, how much of our learning at school and how much of their experience at school reflects these aspirations. Just as you said, you know, do children actually understand that the activity you're doing is going to help you um, problem solve in a group, you know, Mm -hmm. or pitch an idea or think outside the box? Um, Because, you know, you visit a secondary school, Emma, and you probably will get the chance to do that again, given restrictions and getting eased. Mm-hmm. You you will see that children learn. I, I would predict and like to you know think that we've come a long way in understanding how we learn. Relationships are really good. You know, young people are confident. Um, we have better resources than ever. Uh, but you'll probably still see traditional subjects driving the curriculum, particularly in in secondary. Um, so we 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 definitely have to listen as educators and, and as schools in particular to what employers are saying to us. Um, and, and we wanted to ask you about you know, any particular work that you're doing and understand that, that you've got a, a school's um, uh, inter- intervention programme, a, a sort of liaison programme. Um, Interact, yeah, we've, we call it various things, but yeah, school's interaction programme is what it's called historically. Yeah, that's right. Tell us a bit about that then. What's, what's the purpose and what do you hope is the impact? So it's a really interesting question and one we've revisited in light of COVID because um, sure. just prior just prior to lockdown, my predecessor, Jim, had set up this amazing programme where we'd actually reached 10,000 local young people in Murrayshire right. and the Scottish border So because we've got those two locations, which is a phenomenal achievement. And it, mm-hmm. they consisted of things like um, tours around the mill because what we've realised is, you know, people need to see the workplace so that they can start visualising, well, where in that world? place might I fit do I want to work with my hands do I want to sit in an office you know whatever that looks like so that was one element the another element was CV writing um, you know uh, mock interviews those sorts of uh, employability skills Um, so yeah but obviously during Covid we couldn't have people on site um, but we wanted to keep those interactions going 
we've had a dye house project because a lot of people don't don't realize that we've got a massive need for chemists you know people who are curious about um sort of different concoctions of making we've got seven and a half thousand colors in the library and we probably will need many many more so we need people who are curious about that so we're really keen to keep that project going and we we, we sort of changed that to being online and the beauty of that is then you can scale it up because instead of going back and forth to one school you can have a zoom call or a team's call with several schools if you so wish you can uh, record um you know input you know from the beginning of the project brief and then come in just for a q a at the end sort of thing so um we we love doing those sort of um tailored programs that really have an impact and we've the, the measure of success for us now we've realized is let's look at who's in, who we're engaging with. Each one of those young people is a separate individual. You know, it's not just the school's interaction, it's these young people we're interacting with and their teachers, you know, their parents as well. We've realized, you know, these people are all influencing their, their understanding of what mill work is. And I, I put my hand on my heart and said, you know, all I learned about mills when I was at school is black and white Victorian pictures with children getting injured. You know? <laughs> so we're a long way from that, but we have to we have to remember that the media has not been kind on something like textiles, you know, and it took a real hit in the 90s, um, certainly in the borders. And that's painful for a community. So we need to really tell our story and I hate this I hate selling we don't sell the story we tell the story because actually that's an invitation to start a conversation so this is our history we've been going for 225 years to be here in another 225 years we need you we need people who are interested are keen um you know to to come in and explore we've um run a few so on the back of that finding out that we want to engage with these young people we want to make almost sort of monitor their journey so that because we've had people from that die house uh, project who then come and join us as a die house apprentice and one of those people um, became the die house apprentice assist, assistant manager or die assistant manager and now he's the manager of the die house you know and that's a local opportunity it, it counters that perception that I know I had as a young person that I had to leave my local area uh, you know a regional part of Scotland to go to the central belt because that's probably where all the jobs were if not I had to go London or you know if I wanted to to get the good jobs so you know actually telling the story to people local people that there's this viable business that is here for the long term come and invest in us because we'll invest in you in all these different ways um and and so yeah so we so we've, we're excited that we've made these connections with dyw um and other other organizations um who cares scotland is another one um to just try and get the ways in that these conversations are happening because we're mindful that school has been a rough ride for a lot of young people so it's maybe not the only way in you know it's these other groups that are, 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 and agencies that are working with young people um but keeping the message clear you know not not getting um not 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 sort of um complicating it or confusing it so yeah we have these um we've got space side high school coming in looking at sustainability so we worked with the teacher to devise this program that's really going to meet their needs so yes a mill tour is part of it but they're going to meet with the sustainability expert there's a video that we've recorded that they'll watch and then we're doing mock interviews with another school local school elgin academy um elgin high you know it's it's making sure that we we listen and we tailor and we craft something and we go back for feedback and we and we keep on modifying these programs so that we are meeting the need um, and seeing 
do we do we then hire so the foundation apprenticeship scheme is something that we had we hadn't been involved in really because in Scotland there's not a lot of the courses of textile operations died a death you know when when textiles sort of didn't wane you well you know a lot of the businesses sadly had to close the ones that innovated um and, and invested during those difficult times they they sustained and that's an interesting uh probably for another conversation but um you know, so we don't have access to courses where people can go and be a weaver and then come and join us. We have to train our own. So we became an SQA accredited centre in 2015, 2016. And that means when people do come and join us, you are you can sign up, you know, with with the, the you know, sort of resources of an assessor or whatever as well to, to, to get an internationally accredited qualification through an SVQ. Um, so so we're, we're telling those stories while people are on site, while we're, you know, tailoring these programmes so that people can see that it's not just a nice day out, which back to your point at the beginning, Billy, about learning and development being that off the off the job. A lot of times, I mean, I'm guilty of it myself, people have, the feedback's been, yeah, enjoyed that. <laughs> but yeah. there's no action, you know, there's no follow up yeah. or sort of, yeah. So we're, we're trying to build that into our into our young people's programme. So it sounds like um, some great work that you've got going there with, with local schools and, and DYW. What, just to finish then, uh, what, what advice would you give to other businesses, employers, in terms of, you know, and sometimes people find it hard to engage. Um, yeah. But I get a sense that if we are going to grow the, the future generation of, of workers in Scotland, um, we do need to grow our own. So we need our businesses to reach out. What, you, you've made a success of it. What advice would you give to other businesses? I would. I mean, we're really lucky that, you know, there's my job at all in that business. You know, in, in a, a business needs to make a choice. So a full time learning and development manager in a business of, uh, you know, of Johnson's size, which is around nine, 950,000 um, people um, is, is a really good thing. So but if but a lot of SMEs, you know, small and, and medium sized enterprises, they can't afford that. So I would say, you know, if if you if you if you don't have the luxury of that, it you just need to use time as a resource. You know, we talk about managing time, but we need to manage time and energy. So it's putting time and energy into building those relationships and start really small. You know, go to your local school or LinkedIn is a great resource. You know, you can meet so many people on there. Um, go to your DYW coordinator in Scotland. We've got that resource. So tap into the networks that are there trial something in a minimum viable product just say you know half an hour bring your child to work day something like that can just get people starting to think about the purpose of doing things a bit differently and, and actually it shakes everybody up because actually you get these young people on site and often they're seeing the things that you've been you know pulling your hair out to solve for, for months if not years <laughs> And it really enlivens that conversation. Um, so I would definitely, you know, it's about that network. The apprenticeship side of things as well, I think that's quite an easy win. So we are a, we're a training provider and an employer, but if you're just the employer, that's that's great because actually you then get the benefit of a training provider who's usually a, a highly experienced industry expert coming on site and they are usually really open about going, oh, that's, you know, that's a problem that we had. This is how we tackled it. So, you know, this changing the conversation, it's about conversations, guys. You know, let's not overthink this. You don't have to be an educationalist or anything special. You just have to be curious about forming those relationships and listening to what young people are needing and normally all it is is a is a sort of an authentic experience of a real life workplace boom you know and 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 going on from there agreed 
and as, as my head teacher, most of the successful uh, partnerships that we've formed in school does start with that that word, that conversation. So yeah, mm-hmm. keep having those conversations, folks. Absolutely. And I guess the the simple act of of bringing young people, children into the workplace, they bring their curiosity, and they bring questions. And often those questions make you go, yeah, actually, why do we? Why do we do it that way? Why are we not doing it a different way? Um, and and also you said, you know, time, time and energy and investing that. And you clearly have a lot of energy and enthusiasm for what you do as well. So thank you for, for sharing that with us and for sharing it with our, our listeners as well. It's part of our kind of purpose and reason behind the podcast was to open up conversations and have different conversations with with people who are involved in education involved in learning and well-being in different ways so it's been it's been nice to to step out of a very kind of direct education based um or school based conversation into something a little bit wider and a little bit different um tonight so thank you for that emma my pleasure my pleasure but before you escape <laughs> we do finish all of our podcasts with the same three questions um, you, you've maybe touched on the first question a little bit already but growing up what did you what did you want to be I think you, this might surprise you actually Sarah so you know just <laughs> wait for it I wanted to be a potter when I was about seven I got this little uh you know sort of moving wheel potter's yeah. wheel and I and it was about the time probably ghost came out you know although I wasn't allowed to see it because I was too young and um, but yeah so making was good and then I wanted to be a blue peter presenter so uh, when I was at university and didn't realise really how the world worked I was very green I was taken for a lunch after writing an essay about um was Attila, Attila the, uh, was Attila the Hun a barbarian, which a lady, a lovely lady at PricewaterhouseCooper, um, you know, she said that won, won the prize and took me for a lunch in Edinburgh, which I thought was just a nice day out. And she said, what would you like to do when you leave university for a job ever? <laughs> and to this day, I cringe because I just said, really? Well, you want to know what my dream job is? I, I would love to be a Blue Peter presenter. <laughs> <laughs> card across the table a business card she went phone me if you change your mind (laughs) (laughs) it sounds like it's very cheeky but I was just green sorry (laughs) Hazel McAllister (laughs) well there's still time there's still time there's still time exactly yeah primary school teacher was next best actually probably even better (laughs) it's it's got you to where you are so it has indeed everything generally works out it does so um, our second question, we're always interested in what people are reading. So what, what are you reading at the moment, either for, for work, pleasure? Oh, well, I've got, I've got it here. I know your, your listeners won't be able to see it, but it's um, Team of Teams by General Stanley McChrystal. I don't know if you've heard of that one. And no. it's a military take on um, leadership. And so how yeah. um, in Afghanistan and sort of with ISIS, people had the, the military had to change their battalion formation and sort of war tactics that were great for the last war but not for this one so becoming a lot more about team rather than command um Mm. and I like that yes because um control is something I struggle with (laughs) being controlled you know that and that you know I think that resonates very well with all organizations how we actually yeah how we get the best out of people and enable them rather than control them because I don't think you'll ever get command and control only gets you so far exactly and you'll get malicious compliance yes yeah even the military have cracked onto that have they they have great recommendation thank you there you go 
And lastly, do you have a quote or a message that you would like to leave our listeners with? I um, you know, I was thinking about this and there's um, there's there's a quote I have above my desk and it's by John Ruskin, um, who was alive, I think it was 1819 till turn of the century, 1900. And uh, he led the arts and crafts movement, but he was a philosopher and a, a lovely word, a polymath, which is exactly what we're talking about, that curiosity in loads of different fields. Um, and he said, when love and skill work together, expect a masterpiece. Mm, nice. It's it, you know it's soft, but it's meaningful to me that because I think we we can sometimes think that hard succeeds and soft always relents, but actually love and skill working together, that passion side of things, mm. you're going to get good stuff going. And there's a, there's actually a, a a wonderful guy in it uh, in Italy called Brun, uh, what's he called Brunello Cuccinelli, and he he subscribes to sort of John Ruskin, William Morris sort yeah. of quotes and he set up a textiles training school where you know it's all about um beauty and utility so usefulness and beauty and he that love and skills coming together then you know they're not two mutually exclusive things mm. i i like that i can tell billy like that as well because i could see listeners can't see billy's face, I can see face <laughs> i'm nodding furiously <laughs> again it links back to what you're talking about with purpose you know and when you were saying that, I was thinking about um, people who aspire to the teaching profession. And, and, and I give talks at times to, to aspiring teachers, and I say, well, you need to have the heart for it, first and foremost. You, you will, yeah. most people can learn the skills, um, but if you don't have the love, you know, and, and that desire for what you're going to do, buy into the purpose, then it can be any job that you don't have that for, I guess. It can be a hard day, waking up in the morning, thinking you need to get through the day. And for your well-being, it's doing nobody any service, is it? So always do it while you love it. And if you don't, if you stop loving it or you start not loving it so much, you can start, you know, looking over the yeah. fence and wondering what will give you that joy. Yeah. Great advice. And a brilliant note to end on. But thanks again, Emma, for your for your time and your energy and your curiosity as well. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening, folks. We really value you taking the time and space to join us, and we hope that you take something positive from it. We'd love to hear your reflections, so please get involved via Twitter or contact us directly by email. Thanks again, stay safe, and take good care.